hey, Adam, I'm not even going to wait for you to say you're not here. I know you're, in, you're all sayonara in Japan and all, but you're about to miss part two of my interview with Mr. Rick Beato, Everything Music. I'm Peter Martin, and you're listening to the You'll Hear It podcast, daily jazz advice, coming at you. Super excited for part two of my interview with Rick Beato. And just to let you know, you haven't heard the rest of the interview, but I have, because I was there. I was conducting the interview, if you will. So I already know what's going to happen. So I'm kind of going back in time here, or going ahead in time, depending on how you look at it. Uh, We decided to break this one up because... We went and just talked and talked. I mean, Rick, this dude is knowledgeable on music, and we went on some deep dives. So we hope you enjoy this. Please let us know. Um, And uh, here we go with part two of my interview with Rick Beato. Um, Rick, let me ask you about this. Um, Do you consider yourself, um, I mean, I know that you're, you know, a big jazz fan and, and player, and but that's just one part of kind of what you do. But do you consider yourself sort of a sneaky YouTuber when it comes to jazz and maybe even classical in terms of, like, are you intentionally trying to throw some some jazz and classical information and references, even if you're doing something like the Katy Perry, you know, Flame lawsuit video, which is really actually where I kind of first came to know about you because all the St. Louis connections, but where you kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent. And I know that was hugely popular because you were speaking to like a, a news item of the day and it was music and it was your analysis was it was I mean, you were kind of like you were sort of like the real expert witness that they should have had in the lawsuit. And you almost treated it like you were on, you know, in front of the judge and had been sworn in and you actually broke it down correctly. But you went on those little tangents where you'd said, like, you know, this is not really a melody. Jazz players are playing this all the time. But you actually sang little parts, little harmonic things that could have gotten super nerdy, but they kind of stayed within the the general music area. But do you kind of consciously do that, or is that sort of just part of your flow and how you see jazz fitting into the to the larger music world? I always try to fit jazz in. I always try to sneak jazz in somehow. I always I think of myself as a jazz musician. I grew up playing jazz, listening to bebop because um, of my dad. And uh, even though my undergrad degree was in classical bass, I uh, um, I always and I you know I played rock music first. I started on the guitar. You know, I, I mean, I when I started playing guitar, I played rock guitar. But but I always, if you ask me what kind of musician I am, I, I think of myself as a jazz musician, really, because I I. I'm, uh, I improvise all the time. So I improvise my videos. I improvise. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm a massive believer in improvisation. Mm. Yeah. So. No, that's great. So how do you think that that, um, cause I'm always thinking about that. We talk about that on the podcast a lot, but like, it's interesting you saying in terms of improvising the videos from like, is it from a storytelling standpoint or is it from a form or the arc of how you put together your videos or is it from, you know, truly just like the rant video where you're just improvising your thoughts, but you're still putting it together as a cohesive thing? Like, how does that actually manifest itself and how you craft these videos? Very, very much like a, like playing a solo, but playing a really extended solo, more like a, you know, if you were Keith Jarrett, uh, 
and you're doing, you know, the Raymond Luzon concert from mm. 1973, where, where you've got a 64 minute improvisation that, that kind of goes from gospel into picking around inside the piano. And then at minute 34, there's a beautiful Keith Jarrett meets Bach, uh, that uh, part that is probably the most brilliant Keith Jarrett uh, m- m- uh, two minutes at, that I've ever heard. Uh, but then he, he always finds a way to kind of get back to where, you know, the, the original idea. And, and sometimes when you're, you know, when I'm making a video, I'm always thinking about those things about tying it back together and keeping the overall overarching theme intact and, and returning to that. So I was, I do it as if I'm, you know, playing over how high the moon or something. And, uh, uh, you always want to. Although in jazz, you're kind of developing, you know, many of the times you you develop ideas from chorus to chorus. If you're Cannonball Adderley or you're Johnny Griffin or you're Wes Montgomery or, or Pat Metheny or whoever you might be, you know, that people that play motific Dexter Gordon that have really sophisticated motific development in their solos. Um, uh, I mean, I think of Cannonball or I think of uh, Johnny Griffin uh, if you... If you know the, um, there's a West Montgomery live album that is one of the one of the greatest. It's basically Miles's rhythm section with Wes and Wynton Kelly's on it, and but Johnny Griffin plays. Uh, there's a tune called Blue and Boogie, and every chorus Johnny Griffin just develops a new idea and and is incredible. Just set just idea after idea. There's about twelve choruses on a on a blues and mm. uh, um and you know, so that's like a, that's a, a, a chorus to chorus development, but then you have the Keith Jarrett's that will do these long improvisations. So, so kind of like I'm babbling now about this. I, I, uh, you want to bring things back and, and, and come back to, to all the themes that you developed in your, uh, in your video or whatever the story that you're telling is. So I think that that's a, that's a really important thing is trying to try and keep that storyline intact. Mm. come back come back to it absolutely so. man and i and i'm i'm seeing uh you know i can see that in the different types of videos that you know the that that you put out and now that you related with these solos i think for certainly for our listeners being a lot of jazz heads and and players and aspiring players it's a great sort of reference point because you don't do all the same kind of videos and the you know the ability to take these different kind of forms um and and put it on in this medium now like i think we're probably better equipped as jazz musicians with the kind of mentality we have not just in terms of obviously we're improvisers but you know to your point of being able to identify different forms and different ways of i mean improvisation is not just you know get up and saying whatever you want throwing together whatever like the popular culture thinks it is um but i think that you know, even like when we were, you you came to this interview the way that I come to it, very much as a jazz musician in terms of let's just talk this through, let's see where it goes or whatever, which is kind of a rare thing. And I it it feels like in watching your YouTube videos and connecting with your channel, um, and I think for your fans and followers is they've kind of tapped into your ability to leverage this 
platform in the way that a jazz musician, I don't know, maybe I'm overselling it here. This is a jazz podcast, Rick, you got to understand. <laughs> but I mean, I can really see that, especially when you talk about the, yeah, Johnny Griffin and Keith Jarrett, like their solos are so different. But they're both. They're like, so different. So different. But, but their but their abilities to to develop an idea, a, mo, a a motif, a motive, however you want to say it. You know, if you look at Keith Jarrett's "All the Things You Are" off the Standards Volume One, Oof, yeah. uh, that that is a very different solo than than his. You know, there's a tune, there's a record he did called "Dark Intervals." Oh, I love that. And he has a yeah. And, and he has a thing called a par, uh, parallel parallels. There's a track on. I think it's the first track. It's a live. It's from a live concert and and it's a very different idea a very different improvisation but really from from most of his improvisation it's kind of a special track um you know that compared to the song birth which is off that record or or if you go back to belonging that, that record mm. um uh the the wind up which is uh jan garbrecht plays these really great rhythmic ideas and melodic ideas and Keith does too and it's a very different way of soloing compared to the the trio record with where he plays all the things you are with jack and the, and gary peacock right uh the, the the way that he develops ideas are, are really different and um he uh that's why keith jarrett is such a brilliant improviser yeah um Whereas, you know, somebody like Lee Morgan had a very different, you know, when you talk about hard bop players, they have a very specific way that they develop ideas. Um, and they're more linear players. Right. And, uh, and they're not motific players like Cannonball, for example. I mean, I, you would say, right, that, that, that certain jazz players, when you think about them, they play from idea to idea and just developing those things from chorus to chorus. Right, right. As, yeah. as opposed to l more linear players that kind of, play more overarching things, whether it be Coltrane or something like that. That Right. Yeah, and that, it's always interesting when they kind of, like, I don't know, Freddie Hubbard just popped in my head, too, in yeah. terms of, like, you know, idea to idea. Although he would get into some, 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 sometimes, like, he definitely had the ability to do that overarching kind of thematic thing. Um, but I wonder, you know, even somebody like Keith Jarrett, if he were, if you were to plop him in the Johnny Griffin Quartet in 1968 or something, you know how different he would sound and how he'd be able to adapt and and probably the other way too with Johnny I actually got a little chance to play with him when I was super young and totally ignorant I actually recorded some with Johnny Griffin I didn't know what I was doing and um, <laughs> so we will not be linking to any of that but it's uh I remember like we were playing a ballad or something and and you know of course I was in awe of him because I heard recordings you know growing up and and uh he kind of went into this whole other way of playing I kind of looked at him and he sort of looked at me and this was probably all in my mind actually but i felt like he looked at me like aha you didn't know i could do that too you know there's always <laughs> that great thing he probably was like aha who the hell are you on the piano where's my regular guy you know but um no man that's that's uh i'm a huge keith jarrett fan as well so like just eat, i mean you know belonging facing i mean facing you is the, that was the record that just like oh changed my changed Amazing. my piano life you know you know you know there's a there's a record that keith put out in 1986 though called spirits and a lot of people most people don't know that record and it's mm -hmm. it's keith playing everything on it from uh from recorders to you know every People that don't that don't know Keith's soprano sax playing, which is astoundingly good. <laughs> yeah, intonation. The, and, wow, intonation, his tone, everything. But yeah. there's a there's a tune on that called Spirits Twenty that starts. It's in uh, um, it's in 
I, it's in six actually, but it's definitely improvised. The, the, the basic track is improvised on mm -hmm. the piano, but then he puts recorder on it and he does all these, all these overdubs and then plays the most beautiful soprano solo on it that I actually transcribed for my Beato club that I have. Um, and you can't, you can't play, I can't talk about it on YouTube because it's an ECM release and you can't yeah. play anything from YouTube on ECM. Manfred is tough, and man. It, which it's, is, which is really a crime. I think yeah. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I've, I mentioned that to you the other day. I'm very anti ECM. Yeah. And, and yet I'm a huge fan of it, but uh, um, they're, they're killing the legacy of their artists. They're, their heritage artists like Keith Jarrett. Right. Right. Um, re rendering them, you know, I don't know. So, so, uh, so it's, uh, um, but that particular record, Keith's soprano playing is just outstanding. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm really a believer in, you know, I check out young players, modern players that are on the scene now. And I, but yet you have to know the history in jazz. That's the right. biggest part of it. Right. Who, who came from where? Absolutely. There you go. Part two of my interview with Rick Beato. Hope you enjoyed that. This is the You'll Hear Podcast brought to you by Open Studio. Go to OpenStudioJazz.com. We have a huge giveaway coming up very shortly. It might not already be happening by the time you hear this, actually. Um, a lot of goodies. We have some stuff that we use the word ultimate giveaway, and we don't use that word lightly around here. So check that out when you get a chance. OpenStudioJazz.com. We got Black Friday specials coming right around the corner. So sign up to check all that out. And um, check us out tomorrow for the conclusion uh, of my illuminating interview with Rick Beato. You can check that out tomorrow right here. Until then, you'll hear it. <laughs>